have it, if you can please stand. Exodus chapter 34, 6 through 7. I'll read it if you can follow along. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, to the third and the fourth generation. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. God, we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for allowing us to come to this place, Lord. And I pray that um, more than anything, Lord, that we would just know and understand your character, God, in whatever trials, whatever tribulations, whatever hurt and pain we may be going through, God, I pray that we would just lean upon who you are rather than what we can do. God, that it is your love, that it is your faithfulness, that it is all about you and not about us. And so we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, today's sermon title is called The Character of God. Uh, you know, yesterday I actually was able to meet with uh, Jonathan. He's up there right now. Uh, and we were just able to talk and reminisce a little bit about elderly, about his, his father. Um, I've known, I've known Elderly for a long time also. He was very close to this church and, and to my family. Uh, and, and one thing that I remember about Elderly is that he was just so steady. He was really steady in just everything that he did. His, his demeanor, his attitude, his, his optimism didn't change. And as I was talking to Jonathan, man, it gave me so much, I don't know, like so much joy knowing that even at the end, that didn't change either. Because for elderly, there was a lot of struggle within those three weeks, right? Getting news and, and just finding out different things and, and going one thing after another. But Jonathan was telling me how towards the end um, of last week, uh, he was in hospice care and, and we, they knew that it was, it was towards, towards the end. and um, Yet at that time, it was elderly who was kind of comforting his family, which is interesting, right? It was elderly who was saying like, hey, look, don't worry, don't worry. You know, just, just remember to praise the Lord. Praise God in all circumstances. He just kept pointing everything to the Lord, saying just praise God, praise God. Remember what he's done. He was trying to prepare and equip his family because for him, you see, he knew that when he passed, man, he was just going home. That when he passed, he was just going to go to where he belonged. And so for him, there was still this complete steadiness and this complete joy and this comfort there. And as I was, as I was hearing that and hearing about elderly and, and those things, I couldn't help but think to, um, to Paul and the book of Philippians. You know, one of my favorite books. Because for Paul, you see, he was um, in jail. And he was awaiting possible execution. He was waiting death. And so during his last possible days, what he does is he writes a letter to the church of Philippi. And what it is, is it's just a comfort letter. 
It's a letter of comfort to that church. And all he says in that letter, the, the crux of it, the point of it, was this. He says, don't worry about me. Because for me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That's it. He says, don't worry about me. Because for me, if God allows me to live, then that's good. Because I'm going to keep on working for the Lord. I'm going to keep on trucking. I'm going to keep on going. I'm, I'm going to be fine. But if God allows me to pass, then that's good too. Because I'm just going to be going home to my father. Church, you see, I think one thing that's, that really awakened in me, that God was really showing me, and, and that I really want to make sure that we all are on the same page with, is that for suffering and pain, those things are going to hurt, but our ultimate protection from pain, our ultimate encasing and cocoonment of suffering is going to be our understanding of God's character. It's going to be our understanding of our place in this world, that you are a son and a daughter of God, that your identity is placed upon God alone and nobody else and nothing else. And if you have that assurance within your heart, then it's not going to matter what falls around you. It's not going to matter what circumstances kind of crumble. You're going to be steady and you're going to be joyful because your identity is based upon the Lord and upon his character and his faithfulness. And the Bible says that he loves you and is desperate for you. And that's not going to change. You see, for so many of us, we put so much value in this world. And we try to store up so many treasures here. But there's a saying, I don't know if you've heard this, but it's, um, you can't attach a U-Haul to a hearse, right? Like, as much as you try, there is nothing that you can possibly do to bring your possessions to your afterlife. There's nothing that you can possibly do to bring your wealth or your health or try to build up anything here the moment you die. The moment you die is only simply between you and the Lord. There's nothing else there. And I hope that for us as Shining Star Community Church that we really take that to heart. That our identity would really be based upon our identity as a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Because if we have that, then we will have the faith of Paul. That we're going to have the faith of Elijah. Of what it says, in, it says the same thing in James. It says, look, Elijah was a man just like us. And yet he had faith and he prayed and that made the entire world stop of rain for three years. It was because he was solely dependent upon the Lord. He knew that his foundation was found upon only him. And church, that's kind of what I wanted to just share with you today. Because there's been a lot of things that have gone on these past few months. There's been a lot of hardships, a lot of difficulties. But man, I'm so thankful for that too. And I know that our church has grown so much through that. Because more than anything, I think God is just trying to show us, man, just be dependent upon me. Put your identity in me. Know that I'm going to be the one to sustain you. Know that I'm going to be the one that provides for you. Know that even if everything else fails, I'm going to stay the same. That if I was the same yesterday, I'm going to be the same today. If I'm the same today, I'm going to be the same tomorrow. And so trust in me. 
Remember me. Remember my character. Remember my goodness and remember my faithfulness. And that's why today what I wanted to do was as we go to our end of our mini-series on Genesis and Exodus, we're going to go into something new next week, is I want to just look at the character of God a little bit. I wanted us to just remind ourselves of who God really is in our lives. And I want us to hold on to that. Because more than ever, the words of the Bible aren't just words, they're real. And they will sustain you. They will keep you and they will hold you even even in the worst times of your life. And you have to believe that. In this passage, what we just read, Exodus 34, 67, God, he gives one of his clearest definitions of who he is. He gives one of the clearest definitions of his character. In fact, it is so integral to who he is that this passage is quoted 20 over 20 more times in the Bible. And so for us, as we look in this scripture, as we look through the background and a couple things, I want to focus on just three. First is that God is Yahweh. Second is that God is merciful. And third is that God is justice. Okay? Now, before I go into those three things, those three characteristics, let me give you some background. Up to this point, you see, God, he had taken the Israelites out of Egypt. He had proved over and over again that despite everything that was going to happen, that he would provide. And yet, the moment that Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, the Israelites forget God, and they begin to worship an idol made of gold. And so what we talked about before was that God gives Moses an offer. He says, look, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to take you into the promised land. I'm going to give you victory over everything that you touch. You will be fruitful in every aspect of the world. Those enemies that are there, they will be vanquished. The land that you want so bad, I will bring you into that land. But here's the catch. I am no longer going to be with you. For him, you see, for God, he's simply giving the Israelites what they wanted. But Moses, he understands how terrible that would be. And so he asked for forgiveness. And now we come to this passage here. Because God, he has a choice. Because for God, there are two paths that he could go on. He could either leave the Israelites to their own desires and to their own sin. He could follow through with the offer that he gave Moses and say, you know what? You can give, you can have all the success that you want. I'm just not going to go with you. Or he could forgive them and have them turn back to him. Scholars say that this is one of the most pivotal moments in the Old Testament because God could have and possibly should have left the Israelites. But instead, what we see is that God forgives the Israelites and he takes them back as his people. And what God is explaining here by focusing on his character, by focusing on his goodness and his faithfulness, that he is simply explaining that his forgiveness to them is not based on what they can do, is not based on them following the law, is not based on how good they can be, it's simply based upon his character. 
It's based upon his love. And church, that's the gospel. That's it. The gospel is very simple, and yet it's also very profound. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It means that if you put your faith upon Jesus Christ alone, that's where your salvation comes. You work at all for your own salvation, you are putting yourself as the Lord. Jesus is it. And when you believe in that, when you trust in that, when you truly believe that it's simply because of Jesus' faithfulness, because of what Jesus did, because of the work that he accomplished that saved you, man, your response to that is going to be an upside-down life. That's when your life is going to be changed. That's when your heart is going to be transformed. That's when you're going to give and serve and love radically. It's through that realization. It's not going to be through anything else that you can do. It's that one line. It's, it's, the gospel is, is that we are more sinful the, than we could ever imagine, but God is more loving than we could ever imagine. And so God, he forgives his people based on his character and his love for them. Now, the first thing that God says in this huge description of who he is is in verse 6. It's that he is Yahweh. It says this, The Lord passed before him, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord. That's how he starts. In the Hebrew, you see, the word for Lord is pronounced Yahweh. What we know is that Yahweh is God's personal name. Now, that seems kind of strange because, look, for me, my personal name is Danny, right? Or I guess Daniel, but no one really calls me Daniel. My, my personal name is Danny. In the same way, God's personal name is Yahweh. That's kind of, that that like blows my mind when you think about that, right? When I think about that. It's that he, no one gave him that name. It's not a characteristic. It's not a trait of who he is. He's not, it's not a, he is the shepherd or he is the king. He is Yahweh. That's just who he is. That's his personal name. One interesting fact is that the shortened form of Yahweh is found at the end of the word, hallelujah. It's why hallelujah, it literally means praise Yahweh. Now, the question is, why would God start with this? Why would he say, I am Yahweh? Because, I mean, what does the word Yahweh even mean, right? Well, Yahweh means, I am who I am. That is the most foundational meaning of this word. It means literally my being is from my being. My existence is based solely upon myself. And what God is trying to explain at the very beginning, before he goes into any of his characteristics, before he goes into any of his traits, is that he is saying that he is not dependent upon anyone or anything. That he is completely free from any person, from any judgment, from any influence that we may ever think. God is God alone. That he had no beginning and that he has no end and that the way he works is a mystery because he's God and we are not. He is Yahweh. For us, you see, church, we are constantly influenced by everything around us. 
We are influenced by our friends. Our friends dictate our behaviors. Our families tell us how to live. And our past dictates a lot of how we process the way that we look at the world today. But for God, he is not dependent on anything. He is not influenced by another person, nor will he change his will and make a mistake because someone asked him to. He is perfect, and his perfection means that everything revolves around him. He does not revolve around anyone or anything else. Church, this means that when bad things happen, and they will, and they have, that God has a reason, and it's his reason. It's not based upon our influence. It's not based upon what he was thinking before and maybe made a mistake now. It is based upon his ultimate will, and he is a perfect God, and he has a reason. And the reason why we don't understand that reason today is because we are not God. He is Yahweh. It means that we can trust in the Lord. It means that we should trust in him because he is in charge. He is so far above our understanding and our thinking of how the world should be. And if we could control him in any way, then he would not be God any longer. He would simply be an extension of our own thoughts. He would be an extension of our own minds, of our own hearts. And yet he's not that. There should be comfort in knowing that we can't understand how the world works because we're humans, because we have a finite understanding of the world. There's a beauty in that. Just like a child is not able to understand everything that the parent is doing, how much greater is God than us? And so that's why he continually says the same thing. He's not going to give us answers. He says, look, trust me. You're not going to understand every single thing that I have set before you. You're not going to understand every bad thing that happens. But trust me and trust in the fact that even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. If God is Yahweh to you, that means that God is the most important and valuable person in this universe. He is more important than your family. He is more important than your friends. And most importantly, he is more important than you. If God is Yahweh, then you or I are not the main characters of our story. And guess what? This isn't our story either. God is the main character, and we are a part of his great story. God is Yahweh. Second is that God is merciful. Verse 6 says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, it's, it's so good because God is so purposeful in the way that he uses words. Because when God says that he is merciful, he's purposely using this Hebrew word that's connected to the word for womb, W-O-M-B. He's telling Moses, you see, that his mercy and his compassion, they come from the same heart that a mother has for her baby. He's trying to connect for our finite understanding something that we can try to grasp onto. 
And so he says, look, I am merciful. And the, on the smallest way that you can understand that is the tender love that a mother has for her vulnerable infant baby. It's a word, you see, that's more than just mercy and compassion. It's supposed to show you that he's deeply moved. It's the same word that's used in the Bible to describe these two women who have just given birth, but one of the babies die. Now, both of these women, they claim that the living baby is theirs. And so what they do is they go to King Solomon, who is the wisest man who ever lived. And, he, and they say, look, this baby's mine. The other woman says, no, this baby's mine. And what he says in his wisdom is that he will cut the baby in two and give each half to each mother. It says that the true mother was full of mercy. She was deeply moved and said for the other woman to take her baby because she'd rather give away her baby than see her baby die. And we see that it's her mercy that shows that she's a true mother. Church, God is merciful. He will not treat you carelessly. Just as a mother who truly loves her child will not carelessly do whatever with her baby, he knows every hair on your head and he understands even the deepest parts of your personality. You see, church, he created it. There's this passage in Isaiah and it says that God will not break a reed that is bruised and he will not put out a candle that is flickering. Church, he will protect you, for he is a gentle God. He is a merciful God who is not going to be careless with you. That even in your hardest and most difficult moments, he's not going to leave you on the wayside. He's not going to treat you like somebody else. He loves you, and he's going to care for you. And if you are, breathed, if you are bruised, he will bring you back to life. If you are flickering, he will breathe into you. God is merciful. And lastly, God is a God of justice. Verse 7 says this, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Church, God says that he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. In other words, he forgives your sin, no matter the scope or the size. Church, let me repeat that. He forgives your sin, no matter the scope or the size. If you are listening right now, and you think that your sin is beyond even God's forgiveness, church, I want you to remind yourself of God's character. Remind yourself of who he is. Because God is speaking to you. When you come before him, our God is a merciful God. And he desires to be in a right relationship with you. He forgives our iniquity. He forgives our transgression. He forgives our sin. He forgives you, no matter the scope and the size when you come to him. 
Yet, regarding sin, God is forgiving, and yet he's also just. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a good thing, church. Because the Bible says that God, he will right every wrong. He doesn't just ignore evil, but he will confront it head on. That's our God. And it says here that sin will be on their children and their children's children. Now, what this means is not that sin is somehow passed down, but it means that children who follow in their father's footsteps of unfaithfulness will be brought to justice. He's saying that children who decide to be unfaithful like their father will receive the punishment that their fathers received. But church, even in this description, God is making sure that we see the imbalance between his forgiveness and his punishment. It says that he will punish to the third and fourth generation, and yet it says that he will forgive and love to the thousands and thousands, you see, church. Do you see how God is trying to show us the level of his forgiveness? the level of his love. And the reason for this is simply through Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross, you see, what happened is he took on our sin and he died in our place. It's why Jesus said at the very end, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because a holy God is not able to be close to sin. But here's the thing, church, that's not the, that's not the end. Because even though Jesus Christ took on sin, he did that so that he could give us his perfection. It meant that if we believe in him as our savior, that our identity now is not in this world, our identity is not in the things here, our identity is as his sons and his daughters. That just like his son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross, we have become his adopted sons and adopted daughters. And there is nothing in this life that can take that away. We are under his complete protection no matter what. I love this example. That they say at the height of the Roman Empire, a Roman citizen was able to walk across the face of the known world in complete freedom of any thief, robber, or any other person. He could walk across the earth unharmed, cloaked only in these words, civis Romanus. In other words, I am a Roman citizen. Because everyone who met him, everyone who heard these words, knew that so great was the retribution of Rome that not even one finger would be laid upon him. Because of those words, civis Romanus, it meant that that one person had the backing of the Roman government and the most powerful army, the Roman army at that time. Church, our identity as a son and daughter is in the almighty God. There is nothing in this world that can overcome the Lord. He is Yahweh. He is greater than absolutely everything else. Death couldn't touch him. Sin couldn't touch him. 
pain, turmoil, suffering, those things cannot touch him. He is greater than those things, and we are protected under him. If we call ourselves sons and daughters of his, if we truly believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior, man, we are not protected by the Roman army. We are protected by a legion of angels. That he is ours and, he, and we are his. Church, if we have faith in him, then we have complete freedom. Because there is nothing in this life that can touch us. There's nothing here. No pain, no suffering. And that's why, man, like Paul, we can say that even in our darkest moments, that even when we are awaiting something so dark in the the future, we can say, look, man, don't worry. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. I know my identity. I know who I am. And I'm going to be fine. Man, I'm a son of the Most High. I'm a daughter of the Most High, and I'm going to be good. Church, I hope that this is going to be your prayer as well. I hope that this is your cry as well. That whatever happened in this year, whatever is happening, man, that we would look back and remember the character of God. Man, he is Yahweh. He is good. And he is ours. And so trust in that and believe in that. Amen? Yeah, let's pray. Man, God, we are weak, but you are strong. We don't have anything, but Lord, you are everything.